Love Mirrors by Bruce Holland Rogers. One afternoon during his lunch hour, Emery wasn't feeling particularly hungry. It was the monthly free admission day at the art museum, so instead of getting a sandwich, he went in to look at paintings. This one, he said to himself, makes me think of flying, except that the blue is not right for the sky. It is more of a painting about sorrow, I think, of flying through sorrow. Emery was in the habit of mumbling his thoughts aloud, but usually he was so quiet, his words so indistinct, that no one knew what he was saying. This time, however, a woman who stood near him said, Interesting. Then what do you make of the companion piece? He looked at her as she stood waiting, an earnest expression on her face. He nearly apologized, nearly told her that he knew nothing about art. But then he glanced at the second painting, and the words were out of his mouth clearly and distinctly this time. All that whiteness makes me think of hospitals. The jagged line there, the bucket that is tipped over, but isn't spilling a drop? It must be the psychiatric ward of the hospital. The yellow corners, the dead flies, make sure that I know not to take comfort in the whiteness. Fear of insanity, that's what I see. There's nothing about that in here, said a man, who looked from a museum pamphlet back to the painting. I see it, though, said the woman. That's the first fresh thing I've heard about these paintings. She pointed across the room. What do you have to say about that one? Which one? Emery said. The nightmare with the goat? Why do you think it's a nightmare? said the man with the pamphlet. The three of them went to stand in front of the third painting. As Emery talked about it, several more people gathered, and he felt compelled to say at the end, But I don't know anything about art. Nonsense, said the woman. You know more than you let on. I'd like to know what you think of the paintings back there, in the room I just came from, said one of the people who had arrived during Emery's exposition of the third painting. So Emery led his little group into an adjoining gallery. He stood before another painting, and he said whatever came into his head. People who had come to the gallery alone or in pairs seemed to think that Emery was some sort of official guide. They gathered near the edges of the group to hear what he had to say. The group moved from painting to painting. Eventually, Emery looked at his watch and said, I have to get back to work. This isn't your job, said one member of his entourage. It should be your job, said another. That was great. Come back tomorrow, said the woman who had first spoken to Emery. Can you come back tomorrow? The admission, Emery said, embarrassed. It was free today. I'll pay your admission, the woman said. Someone else said, We'll take up a collection. In the lobby, the woman suggested, at noon. That was how Emery found himself 
guiding a group through one entire century of painting the next day. At the end of the hour, people took up a collection to pay for Emery's admission the following Saturday, where they would meet him again in the lobby. There was money left over, and they gave that to Emery as well. Saturday, Emery's tour took in the sculpture hall and the galleries of decorative arts. Is it just things in the museum? One person asked at the end. Could you take us on a walking tour of the city? Tomorrow, said someone else. How about we meet in Washington Park tomorrow? Emery didn't know if he'd have anything to say on such a walk, but his fans persisted. Let's just try and see how it goes. When the group gathered in the park, the first thing Emery said was, Isn't it interesting how the swings and slide and monkey bars are nestled in that grove of evergreens? The deep shade makes me think of death. Evergreens, too, because they are so unchanging. But in the center of death, the playground for children. Oh, my, said someone Emery didn't recognize. That's good. That's so interesting. Emery didn't apologize for his lack of expertise, though he still felt like an imposter. At the end of his tour of the park and surrounding city, the people tipped him. Counting up the money at home, he calculated that he had just made more by interpreting what he saw than he would have made in a day at work. He took out an ad. He offered interpretations of museums, public spaces, private collections. How about cars? said a voice on the telephone. Can you do the auto show in May? He didn't know until he had tried it. As things turned out, his thoughts on chariot races and SUVs fascinated the people who paid for his interpretation. One of the men who joined the group late started taking notes when Emery compared convertibles to cracked-open seeds or avocados cut in half. Ripe fruit. Sex. "'We'd like to hire you to look at some designs,' the note-taker said. You'd have to sign a confidentiality agreement. Of course, we'd pay you. They would pay him handsomely, it turned out, for nothing more than his opinion, his impressions. Emery quit his job. The consultation with the auto industry led to a contract with a fashion designer. He was interviewed on television. What did he think of recent movies? Which were his favorite TV shows? TV advertisements, why? Where before he had gone everywhere mumbling, he now spoke clearly in a stream of assessments and impressions. He even caught himself at it one morning as he was shaving. A masculine face, he said, with a lot of energy concentrated in the eyes, a chin on the weak side, softening the overall effect, giving a hint of the feminine and then, still looking at himself in the mirror, he criticized his criticism. Instinctive, automatic, and natural, then edging into self-consciousness. Irritating, 
incessant? Because it doesn't stop, it becomes more and more its own object. Spooky. Sends a shiver up my spine. After that, Emery gave up shaving. He let his beard grow and had the mirrors taken out of his apartment. For television appearances, he specified that he must not be able to see himself on any monitor. In public restrooms, he washed his hand with his gaze lowered, avoiding his reflection. Aside from this, his life continued as before, with more and more invitations to interpret and criticize. He began to work through a booking agent. He signed contracts to assess the lobbies of banks, the profile of skyscrapers, amusement parks. It was in an amusement park that he rode the rides, walked through the reconstructed Main Street, and finally stopped short in front of the Hall of Mirrors. No, he said to the amusement park directors, you're on your own for that one. The contract specifies, said one of the owners, and I quote, assessment of each individual attraction. Not this one, Emery said. We're nearly done, said another member of the board. We'll just walk through and you can tell us what you think. The contract should have specified no mirrors, said Emery. Well, it doesn't. A third member said, We're paying you for a full assessment. Anyway, said the first man, What could go wrong? Emery hesitated, but he did not have an answer to that question. He sighed and said, All right. He led the way inside. Old-fashioned, he said. The dim yellow lights make me think of summers at a cabin by the lake, with a yellow porch light. Mosquitoes. He concentrated on the image of his legs and feet in the mirrors, avoiding his face. Cotton candy. Sweat. Wanting to kiss a girl for the first time, yet not daring to. He glanced up to see his face, the back of his head, his head at an angle slightly from in front, slightly from in back. Vanity, the girl who stares at herself in the mirror, or the boy who does the same, or man, anyone, the eyes, a lot of energy concentrated around the eyes. Somewhere behind him, one of the directors said, Eyes? The ego, seeing itself in everything, Emery said. He closed his eyes and groped forward, feeling for the turnings in the mirror maze, the self in all things, in all people, selfishness, illusion of permanence, of importance, claustrophobia, darkness, death! That's what you see in the Hall of Mirrors? Get me out of here! Almost through, they exited from the Hall of Mirrors, Emery first. Then the board of directors, one of whom said, Well, that wasn't as useful on the whole, unless the point is that we ought to tear the Hall of Mirrors down. And as he said this, another Emery came shuffling out of the Hall of Mirrors with his eyes closed. He opened his eyes. 
He and the original Emery stared at one another. Repetition, they both said at the same time. Mass production, loss of soul, of originality. What is going on here? said a board member as a third Emery emerged from the Hall of Mirrors. A fourth followed him, opening his eyes, looking about, bewildered. This necktie, said one of the Emerys, pointing to a board member. This tie is wider and longer than the current fashion. It's like a sexual advertisement, a declaration of virility in red silk. One Emery after another emerged from the Hall of Mirrors. Each one stood, stunned for a moment, then began to interpret and comment upon whatever he saw. Emery after Emery they came, and they are still coming. The amusement park is crowded with them, of course, but it's possible to encounter one almost anywhere at any time. Even right now, as the author of this story writes these words, Emery stands over his shoulder and says, Hall of Mirrors, yes. Of course, this story is a Hall of Mirrors, but also an echo chamber. It's hollow. It turns inward with the ending that refers to itself, referring to itself, referring to itself. This has been a Podcastle miniature. Hall of Mirrors was written by Bruce Holland Rogers, an American living temporarily in London, England. His 2006 collection, The Keyhole Opera, was a World Fantasy Award winner. This story first appeared in Realms of Fantasy magazine. For more of his stories, please visit www.shortshortshort.com. It was read by Barry Deutsch, who writes and draws the amazing fantasy webcomic Hereville, which may be one of the best comics about a troll-fighting 11-year-old Orthodox Jewish girl you'll read this week. Hereville can be found at www.hereville.com. He also co-writes a political blog called Alas, a Blog at www.amptoons.com backslash blog.